Well, good morning. That's pretty cool, right? <laughs> we got that a couple weeks ago, and it's really, really encouraging to get that message from our governor. And you guys are doing incredible, incredible ministry and work. And so we're excited to, to, to see that. I hope you're doing well. Today is a big day for our church. It's a big day for really, I think, the city of Maryville and the city of, of Knoxville as we impact both cities because we are one church in two locations. And so today is our vision offering and uh, to remind you, it's both a, a one-time gift and uh, also a commitment to give over the year. And as I've said in this series, if you're new or if, if, if you've missed some, we've been talking about this for several weeks. We've been praying about what we were going to give and how we're going to give today for several uh, weeks now. And if you are a first-time guest, we don't expect you to give, but this is something that we've been thinking about for a while. And uh, the needs that we have as a church are are really uh, several, but uh, here are some of the top ones. We need a permanent uh, facility for our Bearden location in Knoxville. Uh, we need uh, land here in Maryville for parking and the dream of building a counseling center uh, is, is where we feel God leading us. And uh, what we give today also goes to support uh, the six main ministries that Jesus uh, brings our attention to in Matthew uh, chapter 25 where he talks about the, the needs of food and water and clothing and those who might be a stranger, those who are coming out of prison or in prison and those who are sick. And so everything that we give today goes towards uh, that end as well as paying for uh, what we have just renovated next door. And, and so we're excited to be a part of the, the work that God is doing and, and we're all invited uh, to participate. In fact, my goal, my prayer has been that we would have 100% participation, that everybody who uh, thinks of Foothills Church as their home, whether you watch online from another state or you are here uh, physically, that uh, you would participate and, and uh, as the Lord would lead you. And, and so as we give today, let me share a story of, of, of a woman who was trying to teach her daughter the principle of giving. And so she gave her daughter a $1 bill and she gave her daughter a $5 bill. And she said, honey, when we go to church on Sunday, the offering plate is going to come by and I, I want you to decide. You either give that $5 bill, you give that $1 bill. And so uh, church came, the offering plate was coming down the aisle and the mother watched as her daughter was uh, struggling with which um, bill to give. And as the plate came by, she placed the $1 bill in the plate. And so later that day, the mom came back and said, honey, I'm so grateful that you are learning how to give. Tell me, why did you decide to give the $1 bill instead of a $5 bill? And the little girl looked at her mom and said, well, mommy, the pastor said God loves a cheerful giver. And I thought I'd be a lot more cheerful if I gave the one. <laughs> um, certainly, I think her expectations weren't met. And uh, if you're a parent today, there's probably been uh, several times uh, as a parent that your kids didn't quite meet the expectations that you had, but we certainly do have expectations for our kids, don't we? As parents, we teach them, we love them, we guide them, and we invest into them. And, and our expectation is that they would use that investment well by honoring us and, and, uh, and, and, and living productive, godly lives. And you may not realize this, but God has expectations for your life as well. God has definitely provided for each of us. He guides us, he loves us, he sustains us, and he's given us the ability to work. He's given us the ability to earn a living, and 
with everything that God has given to us, there's an expectation uh, that we would manage it wisely. We would take care of it wisely. What we do with what God has given to us is what we call stewardship. And so that just simply means that we're managers of the money and the resources, the time, the talents, the energy that God has given to us. And he does have an expectation that we would use it well. In other words, that we would make it count. We wouldn't waste our life. And we're gonna continue to think about this in terms of, of what Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 25. So if you have your Bible, uh, go ahead and turn there. We, we talked about the, the, the last half of that chapter, week one of this series. I'm gonna go to the beginning really and, and talk about uh, the third parable that Jesus uh, is using to explain to the disciples how they must be ready for his return. And so this context of this particular parable is all about the return of Christ and how we're to be ready for his return. And as he's trying to teach the disciples this, he uses this parable. Uh, we call it the parable of the talents. I'm sure many of you are familiar with it, but it starts in verse 14 of chapter 25. And Jesus says this, he says, for it will be like a man. Again, the context is the return of Christ. And so he says, it's gonna be like a man who goes on a journey. And he called his servants and he entrusted them his property. To one, he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and he made five more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and I hid your talent into the ground and here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. For to everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Maybe familiar with this passage, but... Uh, I wonder if we're practicing the truth and principles that we learn here. He says a man travels to a far country. And so essentially Jesus is saying uh, he is going away, right? And while he is away, 
he has an expectation for you and I, his servants. And so the outline of kind of big picture of this parable is this. Uh, the master entrusted money to his servants according to their ability. They didn't get to decide how much they got. The servants all handled the money differently. A day of accountability came at a later time and they didn't know when that time was actually gonna be. The reward was given to a job well done, those who had improved what they had been given. And then there was punishment given for the one where work was not done. And so in the ESV version, you see the word talent. Most translations in the English use the word talent. And so what is a talent? Now, the Greek word simply means a, a large sum of money, uh, literally a weight of a gold or, or silver, or some kind of precious metal. And so the traditional kind of interpretation of the word talent is that it's a metaphor for your natural abilities. And uh, obviously, when you translate into an English word called you know, that we use for talent. Talent literally in the English means a natural ability, but uh, I, I don't think that's exactly the meaning in, in the point for Jesus here. As soon as the master comes back, he wants to settle accounts, right? He wants to know what each servant did with the money that he had given to those servants. Uh, did you take advantage of the amount that I gave you? Did you use it well? And he asked, why didn't you at least put the money into the bank to actually get interest? So his concern is about the resources that he gave to the servants. So Jesus isn't really uh, necessarily talking about talents, uh, natural abilities. He's saying, God gives you money. God gives you opportunities. And he desires that we would use them well and serve him well with the things that he has given to us. Uh, Certainly, I think we can interpret this and say, yeah, well, God definitely expects us to use our natural abilities uh, for the kingdom as well. But primarily, Jesus says the master gives the servants money. He expects them to do something positive for the Lord. And remember, they give everything back to the Lord when he returns, right? So there's meaning in that too. None of, nothing that we say we own is actually ours. There'll be a day when he returns, we, will, we won't have anything, right? It all belongs to him. And then the Lord will reward us with even more uh, opportunity, right? This is uh, the wisdom of the principle. Uh, so the question that we have to ask is, are we today preparing for that day of his return? Are we today wasting the opportunity that he has given to us? Are we using the money that he has given to us wisely or are we wasting it. So I would say, if you want to take some notes today, the first principle that we want to uh, realize is, is that God expects you to improve what's been given to you and serve him well. The first two servants improved upon the money and the resources that the master gave to them. In verse 16, it says that the first man went at once. In other words, he was excited to go use what he had been given. He knew intuitively he knew that he needed to take that and use it and multiply it so that when the master returned, he could show him that he was a good steward. He knew that. The master didn't say, go do this and do that and specifically this, this, and this. No, he, he with excitement, um, no specific instructions, went and he used what he had been given well, Right? Uh, the second did the same thing. So improve what's been given to you and serve him well. 
And then secondly, I would say we're judged on our faithfulness. All three were judged on their faithfulness, right? Which is a good thing to remember. It's not judged based on how much money they made. It's not, you're not, you and I aren't gonna be judged by how our business grew. We're not gonna be judged by our 401k. That is not the point of this at all. He is judging us based upon how faithful we are with what he has given to us. So are we being faithful? Are we managing what God has given to us faithfully? That is an important question that we have to continually ask ourselves. And so we need to realize that God is expecting us to use what he has given to us, invest it well, use it for him. Uh, When the master comes back, his first act was to settle the accounts with his servants and the servants knew that he was coming. And when he came, he essentially said, what did you do with what I gave you? And I think every single one of us are gonna stand before the Lord one day and he's gonna ask a similar question. What did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with the time, the influence, the money, the, 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 the place where you live, the community that, what did you do? Jesus does not want us to waste our life. He does not want us just to build up wealth and to bless our kids when we leave this planet. He wants us to use what he has given to us for his kingdom and for his glory. Now, the third servant was condemned. He's condemned because he didn't get a return on the money that the master had given to him. I think the, the, the point of the parable is don't waste the resources. Don't waste what God has given to you. Maximize on the opportunities that he provides so that you serve him well, so that he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a little, now I'm gonna put you over more. In other words, I'm gonna give you more responsibility. And so when we don't invest well, when we don't use the opportunities that God has given to us, what has been given can be taken away. Look at verse 28 again. So take the one talent from him and give it to the one who has 10. If you don't use what God is giving to you today, it's very um, possible that he might take what he has given and give it to someone else, an opportunity to somebody else. Another church might get an opportunity if we don't take advantage of the opportunities that, that we get as a church. So as a church, as an individual. So the failure of the third man is, is the, not that he lost what has been given to him. His failure is that he didn't attempt anything for his master. He didn't try anything. He didn't try to do anything with what God had given to him for God's glory. Let that sink in. So often in church life, we think church is about a list of don'ts. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And we judge ourselves and how we're living and what we're doing based on the don'ts. And if I'm not doing any of the don'ts, then I feel pretty good. But following Jesus is not a list of don'ts. It's a list of do's. And so we must ask ourselves the question, what are we doing? What are we attempting for our master today? The master called him lazy or slothful. Let us not make the mistake of the third servant and be lazy with what God has given to us. We don't wanna waste our life. We wanna make it count. And the tendency for us potentially is yes, to be lazy, but it's also that we don't wanna be challenged. The tendency is we want the easy road. 
Our desire is really to be like the third servant. Our desire is to be lazy, but laziness is never rewarded. Hard work, wise work is rewarded by God. And so the question is, what's, what prevented the third man from attempting anything? What was stopping him? What was the lid or the barrier, the hurdle that he couldn't cross to actually use what God had given to him for the glory of God? Well, his excuse was that he blamed his master. Look at verse 24. He said, I knew you were a hard man. How often do you blame other people for your financial condition? How often do you blame other people for the problems that you have in your life? How often have you blamed God? Well, God, if he would just do more, if God would do this, then I'd, I'd be more faithful. You see, I think it's really easy for us to blame other people in our life and And and, and the reason is because we're lazy, we're slothful. Instead, we need to take responsibility for our problems and our issues. And by faith, take the necessary steps to overcome them. He blamed his master. But secondly, verse 25 says that he was afraid. It was just simple fear. He He was afraid of what would happen. He was afraid to take a risk. But folks, listen to me. There is risk in discipleship. If you wanna grow closer to Christ, you will and you must take a risk. It is risky to make disciples. It is risky to be a a part of a church that God is using. It is risky to join a small group. It is risky to step into the mission of God. It is not easy, it is hard work, and there's a lot at stake. But risk is always a part of discipleship. Jesus rewards the first two servants. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a little. I'm gonna put you over more. Come and enter the joy of your master. You see, in God's economy, if you aren't faithful with a little responsibility, you won't be faithful with a lot of responsibility. So what are we to do? We're to be faithful with whatever God has given to us. In other words, use what you have by investing it wisely into the kingdom of God. So obviously you're probably kind of wondering, what does that look like in my life? You know, how, how, how am I to be faithful today? How do we necessarily apply this parable to our lives? And I think the primary meaning is that while Jesus is away, we recognize that he's coming back, right? He's either gonna come back in our lifetime or we're gonna die and then we're gonna face him. And so we must in our time right now be faithful with the money that God has given to us, invested into the kingdom of God, where God is calling us to work and use the little time remaining, walk through the open doors that God provides for us and maximize it for his kingdom. And so I think there's no secret that God desires you and I to be generous. Um, Whether you like to talk about that in church or not, It is crystal clear in the Bible. God wants us to be generous, period. And in the Bible, math is pretty simple. Uh, God doesn't complicate it like our tax code in America. It's it's very simple. Um, The Bible teaches us that God owns everything. Uh, We don't get to take any of it with us, uh, but we aren't to use everything that we have on ourselves. Um, That would be selfish. God desires that we spend some, we save some, and we give some. It's pretty simple. In God's economy and what I believe, The Bible teaches is a principle called tithing. Tithing is a word that simply means 10%. And I believe that God wants us to give 10% to him 
and then live off 90% of what we make. And so with that 90%, you are free to save some, you are free to spend some. God wants you to use that and uh, bless your family, uh, bless yourself, enjoy what he's given to you, but prioritize um, the giving of your resources to the Lord. My wife and I, we've been married for 21 years. Um, whether we were making $22,000 a year when she was uh, a teacher and that was full-time in seminary, um, and fast forward 21 years, it didn't matter how much, uh, we've always given that. And we've actually given above that. And our goal and our hope is that we would um, go above that uh, as, as God continues to bless. And so that's what we believe. That's what we do. Some of you do the same thing. Some of you aren't there yet. Maybe, maybe there are a lot of mistakes in your past and maybe there are a lot of reasons why you could say you're not there. But I would encourage you that it is the most wonderful blessing in my life. The reason why God, I believe God continues to bless me is because of the faithfulness that, that, that he's allowed my wife and I to experience. And so I want you to experience that same joy. Some people think when I have more money, then I'll be generous. I just need a little bit more, then I'll be able to give. But if you wait uh, to be generous, you're never gonna be generous. I think it's easy for us. Um, I've done this, you've probably done this. It's easy for us to look at people who we think have a lot of money and it's easy for us to judge them. And we seem to think it's easier for people that have a lot of money to give. <laughs> just because you have more doesn't mean it's any easier. The principle that Jesus teaches is that if you're not faithful with a little, you won't be faithful with a lot. I think the servant with one talent uh, could have said it's easier for the guy with five. It's easier for the guy with two. He had more. So obviously it was easier for him to go double it. Well, I don't think that's the truth. Uh, I think the Lord gives to us based on our ability, based on the grace that he wants to give to us. Just because somebody makes more money doesn't mean that they're more blessed than you doesn't mean that they've lived a better life than you. We know a lot of people that are not very nice people that have a lot of money. That's why the principle is faithfulness. The principle is be faithful for what you have. Don't worry about what other people are doing. Don't worry about or, or criticize or judge what you think other people should be doing or not doing. You be faithful with what God has given to you and be motivated by the reality that God wants you to be faithful. You'll, you'll, you'll never get to this place in your life if you're just consistently looking at what other people are doing. Who cares what other people are doing? You do what God wants you to do. You're, you're not gonna be motivated to grow as a disciple of Christ if you're constantly looking at what other people are doing and thinking they should do more or less or criticize here and there. You be faithful. You do what God is calling you to do, right? And that's where we're, we begin to be motivated, right? We're motivated by being faithful. We're not motivated by comparison. We're motivated by being faithful to the word of God with what we have. And so with the time that I have uh, left, I just wanna share what motivates me to give, what has motivated me to give, what motivates me to lead this church, what motivates me to keep encouraging this church it's not easy to stand up here and say, come on, guys, let's, let's give because the mission is, is big. It's much easier to just talk about how God loves you. You know, a lot of people, you know, don't like this, this arena right now. They don't like this feel because they don't want to talk about the reality of our resources, right? And so people leave. It's, it'd be much easier. I could grow a much bigger church 
If I just talk about how God loves you and just wants to pat you on the fanny every day and send you off to work and have a little blessed life, but that's not what motivates me. I'm motivated by the word of God. Here's what I'm motivated about. I wanna do the right things with the good things that God has given to me. And I wanna do the right things with the good things God has given to me. You see, God has given us so much. If, if you're here in the Knoxville, Maryville area, not only has God allowed you to live in the greatest country in the world, he's allowed you and I to live in one of the greatest parts of the greatest country in the world. And with that blessing comes a great responsibility. There's a great responsibility that you and I have because we are, we are a more like-minded community. And as God blesses us and as God allows us to have so much, then the responsibility to bless other parts of the country and the world is much greater. And so as we're faithful, as we do the right things with the good things that God has, has, has given to us, then yes, we give to God, but then yes, we also enjoy the blessing of faithfulness and more responsibility. And the master saying, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a little come and enjoy the joy of my rest, right? That's what I wanna hear. And so my motivation, I wanna do the right thing with the good things God has given to me. And I, I've got an obligation to the gospel. This is what motivates me. As a follower of Jesus, every single one of us, this is Paul, he says, I'm obligated to both Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish, to do what? To, to proclaim the gospel, Right? And so we're obligated to, to do this. We're, we're obligated by the word of God. And I feel obligated to the people of this city, feel obligated to the people of Knoxville to share the gospel, to share the truth of the word of God, to, to convince them, persuade them to follow Jesus so that they can enjoy heaven. But even more than that, enjoy their life today and overcome sin today. This is the obligation that I feel that motivates me. And so I'm thankful that I get to actually invest my resources into a church that's actually doing that. I'm, I'm blessed to be able to be a part of a church where children, over almost 600 people gathered on Friday night in this room to hear the gospel and to have fun and to partner with parents to raise their kids in gospel-centered homes. I'm, 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 I'm so blessed and, and, and with joy give so that we can do things like that and See, hundreds of teenagers come to this place and give their life to Christ every single year for the last several years. I'm so blessed when, when I see a 50, 60-year-old, like manly man, get convicted of sin and give his life to Jesus. Like, we see that on a regular basis. We've baptized almost right at 140 people this year, and that is incredible. And so, man, the return on investment here is incredible. I love the fact that I get to give here and see God do what he is doing. I love what Martin Luther once said. He said, God doesn't need our good works, but our neighbors do. God doesn't need me to lead this church. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need my talents. He doesn't need me at all to do whatever he wants to do. God's going to do what God wants to do. And what God wants to do is bring people into the kingdom uh, with him. Right? God wants to do that. He wants his gospel message to spread and he wants to call his lost sheep into the fold. And so he doesn't need me, he doesn't need you, he doesn't need Foothills Church, but he invites you, he invites me to participate with him. 
And so I get to do this with you. We get to do this together. And, 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 and we do it not because of our good works, but we do it because our, our neighbors do need those good works, right? So my second motivation to give is really obedience to the gospel because, I mean, we know this. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, don't store up for your treasures in, uh, don't, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, for the, very simple, like, my money goes where my heart is. Just it. My kids, man, my kids get a lot of my money. I got teenagers. <clears throat> and they think I'm an, they just think I'm an ATM. I don't know if yours think that as well. You know, they love hanging out. You know, they love going to Target. They love going to Walmart or they love going to the mall or they love going out to eat. Hey, let's go get some food. Let's go to Target. Let's go, you know, I need this and I need that. And I'm just, I'm not an ATM, right? But, but a lot of my money goes to them because I love them and I'm glad to do that. And um, the same is true for, for many parents in the room. And so wherever my heart is, that's where my money goes. I want to have my heart. And so if I want him to have my heart, if I want to give him all of me, then it's, it's really simple. We can fight against it. And I fought against it in my life for many years, but I've come to the place now to where I've, I've submitted and I've said, you know what? <laughs> of course, of course, if I wanted to be first and treasure him the most, then obviously I need to put him first in my resources. So I'm, I'm motivated by obedience to uh, the gospel. Uh, I, I'm thirdly motivi- motivated by the relationships that I have that focus on the gospel. And so I love the reality that we don't do this alone. I love the reality that it's not just dependent on one or two people in the church. It really is dependent upon all of us working together and the relationships that we build together. We, we need each other to grow and we need each other to reach other people with the gospel. And so Paul makes it clear in 1 Corinthians chapter three, he says that people were arguing about who was baptizing who, right? And, and, and so he says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul, right? They were the leaders of the church at that time who were just simply servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. I can't make you grow. You you can't make you grow. You can't make your spouse grow. God gives the growth. You can water, you can plant, right? But God is the one that grows. Verse seven, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is really anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, right? We do it together. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. In other words, we'll be rewarded according to our labor. For we are God's fellow workers. We get to work with him. You are God's field, God's building, right? And so we, we get to work together and we get to serve together. We get to plant, we get to water. And if God grows people, if God develops people, that's the miracle. When light bulbs start going off and, and all of a sudden marriages get healed and young people give their life to Christ or you know, an older, older guy who you never thought in a million years was gonna give his life to Jesus says, yes, I will follow the Lord. That's when you know, wow, God is at work here. 
we're watering, we're planting as a church, we're doing this together, right? And so then this principle is, is, is the reality. When everyone does a little, God does a lot. I mean, that'll preach right there. When everybody does a little, God does a lot. Think of the, the when Jesus fed the 5,000. I just need a couple of fish, you know, a, little, a few loaves of bread. Boom, multiplies. And this is what God has done in the life of Foothills Church over and over and over again. People giving a little, people serving a little, God doing a great, amazing work. Uh, we get to see Jesus bring the good news. We get to see Jesus bind up the brokenhearted. We get to see Jesus proclaim liberty to the captives and opening of the prison to those who are bound. We get to see people who are mourning, comforted. You see, this is what the gospel is all about. This is what Jesus has done and is doing through our work here at Foothills Church. So I'm motivated by the relationships that focus on the gospel. And then finally, I'm motivated by the future of the gospel. Why do I give? Why do, why do I, I'm, I'm, this man, the future is what excites me. Psalm 71 says, since my youth, God, you have taught me. And to this day, I declare your marvelous deeds. But even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. This is one of my theme verses in my life. Because for me, I gotta keep my eye on the next generation. One of the things I learned growing up in a traditional church, being around a lot of traditional people, is that we continually become inward focused. In life in general, in marriage, in relationships, we're all trending inward and selfishly. And so as a church, as an organization with a lot of different people and a lot of different uh, desires and what people want, and, and, and now you're, you're looking at, okay, now we've got the mission of God to reach people with the gospel. And we've got a lot of people who are continually going inward. And what you realize is that as churches begin to die, you realize one of the reasons is because they take their eye off the future. And so why do we sing the music that we sing and do the things that we do? Not necessarily because I like it or anybody in here over 40 does like it. We do it because, well, the next generation seems to like it. You know, why do we, why do we give you know, when, and, and when it doesn't seem like, you know, the younger people are giving as much and they're really selfish and they're doing this and that and the world's going, you know, to hell in a handbasket. Well, the reality is we give because we're in a stage of our life where God has given us more than what they have. And so we're preparing the way. It's a lot cheaper to not care about the next generation. The cleaning bill is a lot smaller. You don't need as much space right? You can go to the smaller space because you don't need the space for all those kids and what they do and, right? So the reality is, do we want to put them in the rear view mirror? Do we want to put them in the back seat? Or, or do we want to put the next generation in the front, in the forefront of our minds? And we've chosen as a church that the next generation matters. And we've chosen that we're going to continually do the things that are required and necessary that, that we feel like are appropriate to reach the next generation for Christ.
And so that's why we give. That's what motivates me. I'm gonna see this next generation do better than my generation and, and those that are before us. And, and no, I, I don't think God has done. And no, I don't think the, that the enemy has won any country or won anything. I do believe there are many, many, many millions of people that need to come to faith in Christ. And until the Lord comes, our mission and our role is to go and to seek them out. And that's what we're gonna do as a church. And that's why we give. And that's what motivates me to wake up every day put a smile on my face and realize this is one of the greatest places in the world to serve the Lord. One of my favorite movies of all time is, is Braveheart. Um, William Wallace leads the army in one of the first battles. They actually defeat, it was the battle at Sterling and they actually defeated the, the English and everybody was happy and all the nobles, if you've seen the movie, they were all in the same room and and they start fighting about who's gonna be the king. Remember that scene? Um, usually what happens when you get a few wins under your belt, people start jockeying for power and start fighting over power, right? Happens in marriage, happens in your business, happens in churches. Um, churches grow a little bit, people start fighting about who's in charge. In the movie, they start arguing and Wallace and his crew just start walking out of the room and the nobles say, where are you going? And he says, we, we won the first battle, but England's gonna come back because you won't stand together. And the nobles say, where are you gonna go? And he said, I'm gonna invade England on their land. <laughs> and they say, well, that's impossible. And I quote, why is that impossible? You're so concerned with squabbling over the scraps from Longshank's table that you've missed your God-given right to something better. There's a difference between us. You think the people of this country exist to provide you with position. I think your position exists to provide those people with freedom. And I go to make sure that they have it. I believe that God has given Foothills Church this position in this community so that we might bring freedom, spiritual freedom to those who are lost. And I go to see that they have it and I know you do as well. And so I wanna encourage you at this time to go ahead and take your envelope. If you haven't filled it out, we're gonna actually take a second to fill it out. If you're new to FC, this is what we do every single year. And so I will fill mine out and I wanna encourage you to fill yours out. And then as I do, I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna sing a final song. And you can see there's giving stations all along the front and there in uh, the middle aisles. And uh, while the song plays, we're gonna ask you to physically get up out of your seat and come and bring that uh, commitment to one of these giving stations uh, today. And so as I pray, and as we fill this out, we make this commitment because yes, there's an expectation, but yes, we get to participate and go and see that those who are spiritually lost would find spiritual healing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. This is a prayer that I've been praying really for 
seven years now. It's the same prayer. We come to this moment because we wanna see God create and, and, and make this place something special. And so pray with me. Father, we ask that as we give today, God, that you would make Foothills Church a place where Jesus Christ is worshiped above all things, where thousands of people would meet Jesus and, and are saved by faith. We pray that this would be a, a place where thousands of children would grow up in gospel-centered homes. We pray that Fiddles Church would be a place where thousands of teenagers would see Christ as more desirable than the lies of culture. Where discipleship, Lord, is desired and held in high esteem. And where men are not afraid to teach the Bible and lead their wives to love the Lord. We pray that Fiddles Church will be a place where small groups do not gather to gossip, but rather gather to spread the gospel where young men look up to older godly men and think, I wanna walk with Jesus like he does. A place where young girls would see older women and think, I don't need to be an Instagram model. I need to carry myself with grace and love for Jesus like her. A place where thousands of missionaries are called and nurtured and sent to unreached people groups of the world. A place where marriages are made strong and single people are sold out for Jesus place where worship is humble and authentic and God-centered and Bible-saturated, place where all races feel loved and respected in racial harmony, where the cause of justice is declared and engaged to protect and serve the weak for the glory of God, that this would be a place, Lord Jesus, that makes disciples, a place, Lord Jesus, that would change lives. We ask for your hand upon us, we ask that we would be found faithful with the little that you have given to us. And we ask God for the power of the Holy Spirit to live within us and through us. And we ask, Lord, that as we give, that you, in fact, would bless us. We ask, Lord, that you would use it to bless this city, that it would bless the city of Maribel, that it would bless the city of Knoxville, and then it would be used for your glory. And so Father, today as we give, we give as one. And we thank you for the opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Foothills Church. If you made a decision to follow Christ while listening today, or if you have some more questions about what that looks like, then let us know. You can text FC Decision to 97000 or you can head over to foothillschurch.com slash decision. We hope you have a great week.